This show is brought to you by Made by Super. Hiring a design studio is more necessary than you think. Your brand is important, and how it's represented shouldn't be phoned in. Whether it's your logo, website, messaging, online ads, environment, graphic design, or social media, you need professionals, thinkers, advocates for your brand, people that will make you look good. It will make a difference. Trust me. Go to madebysuper.com and hire great designers to get to work for you on your brand. Also brought to you by Age Old Trade Design, LA's premier hospitality design firm. Hey guys, Aya Cash is my guest today. You probably know her as the star of the FX series You're the Worst, for which she was nominated for a Critics' Choice Award for Best Actress. She's also been in a ton of movies. You might remember her from The Wolf of Wall Street. She's also constantly doing off-Broadway plays in New York. Most recently, she starred in the play Kings, which had its world premiere at the Public Theater. You can watch Aya on the upcoming FX show about Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon, in which she plays Joan Simon, the wife of playwright Neil Simon. Enjoy. It is a skeleton, and you have to discover where the bones go. What I need for my life, I am drawn to create the play. Use the play. You must use it. Okay. Like Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hiya. Um, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Can we talk? Because I was trying to kind of remember this, and then I kind of remembered. I don't know if you remember, but do you remember how we know each other or where we first met? I, you know, I was trying to remember too. I, I can think of a couple of instances, but I know I heard about you before I met you. Totes. Like yeah. I was like always in admiration of you, but. Well, people thought we looked alike, too. Right. So I would get, like, do you know Cat Foster? And you'd already moved to L.A. by that point. But so, but you'd started in New York theater, and that's yeah. where I was. So we kind of knew each other for, in New York. Yeah, I don't know if we met. So I remember I remember a reading at Jordan Allen yes, Dutton's house. Yes, Oh, at Jordan Allen Dutton's house. But we had done a reading. Do you remember a reading? I think it must have been for MCC because it was in that, like, college kind of arena style oh like yeah like Baruch um, College or yeah one of Baruch those. College at, at like 3rd Avenue yeah and like 20 something street we yeah. did a reading okay here's what I remember yeah so we did a reading but I think we'd we already kind of like knew each or like knew who we yeah I don't know we I was familiar with who you were I, I already had mad respect for you I don't know if I'd seen you in something or like but um I think Michael Shannon was in it oh yeah and I remember because I was like, he is so large, like, and I am so small. <laughs> and I just remember, like, I, I rarely feel small, even though in stature I am. And I was like, I am tiny. I am a, I am an ant. That's so funny. <laughs> he's so he's we're such we're such fans of Michael Shannon. Maybe yes. he'll come on the show one day. So he um, but he was in it. And then I can't remember anyone else. And I can't remember who wrote the play. Yeah. I don't either. Did Jonathan Goldstein direct? the reading maybe or evan cabinet evan cabinet i don't know oh my god all these people are like who though anyway here's what i remember (laughs) here's my like big memory about you which i really Mm -hmm. like which i love so i actually think it was more than a reading i think it was a workshop like Mm -hmm. i think we were there for a couple days Mm -hmm. or maybe we were just there for like one long day and we read the play a few times before we and i remember 
we had a dressing room like at Borough College. Yeah. Yeah, but, and um, and I remember you were like before we did the reading, you were like snacking on like what you had for dinner oh, was. <laughs> I can only imagine you had Reese's a bag, like a big fun size bag of Reese's peanut butter cups, like Halloween style. Like that's all you had with you was just like Reese's peanut butter cups <laughs> in a big like big large bag and I and I was like is that what you're having for dinner and you're like I'm weird about food or you said something like that or I'm like I'm weird with what I eat or something yeah and I I, I have like, like a reverse eating disorder well, it's I, very bizarre but I remember thinking because like I in my past I mean you know now I'm at this very moment I'm very pregnant but like also like just in my life like I've really like done a lot of work on all my eating stuff you know but like in my past they've had like a lot of eating stuff you know mm-hmm. a lot of like and I just remember being like whoa like I just eats Reese's peanut butter cups like that's so bad like she really eats like what she wants like I do I I have zero self-control when it comes to food like I really really like food but I was a crazy picky eater growing up I don't like if I don't if I put something in my mouth I don't like it I do not eat it and I would rather not eat but then if I put something in my mouth I like I'll eat it all the time and I have a big sweet tooth and I eat I eat I just had to do a food diary because I'm having all sorts of health issues shocker (laughs) I guess you can't eat Reese's peanut butter cups for dinner when you're not 22 which is probably when you met me was a long time ago yeah um, and, uh, I've had all this health stuff and I had to do a food diary. I sent it off and the woman was just like, n- like completely shocked. And <laughs> I horrified. think I've gotten so much better. Like I eat vegetables now. Uh-huh. I didn't eat vegetables <laughs> until my early twenties. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm doing so good cause I'll like have a green smoothie, yeah. but it's, it's pretty bad. And maybe all my health things are related to so my did she, like do a, a big adjustment. Well, or, we haven't gone you... there yet because, like, I'm waiting. I mean, I'm doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I'm having really weird uh, stuff. Oh, no. So, uh, like, I'm my face is blowing up. Like, everyone... like acne blowing up? I can't uh, see that. Both. Okay. Right now, the acne is under control, but I got cystic acne for the first time. I was like, oh, okay, nice. that's weird, but that doesn't scare me. Yeah. Then I started to get really vicious heartburn. And then, which I'd never had before. I've and never then, had it, but now pregnancy, oh, you have it when yeah. you're pregnant. Yeah. Well, I thought I was having a heart attack. Yeah. I'm not a hypochondriac. I don't get scared by stuff. But then my face started blowing up literally. Like, I would wake up and my entire lip would be two inches out from my face. Oh, or I'd that's have... That's like allergies, Yeah, right? I'd have bulbous... The other Yesterday, I woke up and I had giant uh, bulbous, like, things on my forehead. Oh, my God. And they go down with... Um, with allergy medication, but nobody can figure out what's going on. So I've decided to get real woo-woo and just, like, go to a health coach and yeah. start over. Yeah. I'm doing a poop test. I'm wow. doing a saliva oh test. So we're waiting. But, you know, the health coach was like, you need to – you're probably going to have to change your eating. And that scares me so much because it's the one thing. I work out now. Like, I never worked out, but the food – I just love food. You just, like – somehow you avoided the whole, like – you avoided weird eating – issues yeah you know uh i did a little research on you by the mm-hmm. way oh god <laughs> um, i mean not you know yeah. I mean, like very casual mm-hmm. research because i kind of know you enough to feel like we had so much to talk about but um you grew up in san francisco mm-hmm. and i did too did you know that i don't think i knew that i well i grew up in oakland mm-hmm. but i went to college preparatory school oh wow in oakland. did you where what school did you go to i went to san francisco school of the arts Oh, funny. On state campus. Yeah, so we probably didn't. But we, like, did you ever go to ACT or anything growing up? Yeah. Me too. 
Yeah. But you're younger than me. But so we didn't overlap probably, but like ACT on conservatory with yeah. like Craig, Craig Slate, Slate and stuff. Yeah. Craig Slate <laughs> helped me figure out how, where I was going to go to college. Same. He yeah. like helped me like prepare my audition monologue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I took that class. And like, remember like Winona Ryder went there and yeah. like, he would talk all the time about Winona Ryder. Mm-hmm. That was like the big deal that <laughs> yeah. she like went, he taught mm-hmm. her how to act. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's so funny. Okay, so so like... San Francisco though. So, but like I, so so sorry you were talking about how you grew up like you I mean you were kind of like San Francisco is not like a crazy it's not like growing up in LA it's like we value more like intellect (laughs) not to make (laughs) sweeping generalizations about Los Angeles versus there but I just feel like in San Francisco like eating disorders maybe aren't quite I actually I'm just making this up no you're making it up because the everywhere everybody everybody has eating disorders and And I did too in high school I mean it's all but anyway you avoided this somehow yeah I didn't I didn't avoid like body hatred or shame I just had no self like I I always this is a totally inappropriate joke because eating disorders are very serious things and I've had uh, friends who've really struggled but my joke was always like I just didn't have the discipline to have an eating disorder because I would really have liked to at certain points when I was really self-shaming. But it's sure, just not sure. where I just couldn't do it. But I do feel lucky. I also didn't honestly feel shame about food until I was a professional actor. Right. Like even though I ate like crap, um, I, I didn't feel bad about it until – until I was an adult and people right. were like, you, we're like you eat Reese's peanut butter? Yeah. Well, so just, then I'd still eat it, but I'd feel, I'd feel bad. <laughs> like I know like on set and stuff sometimes like, but this is just my own shit. But like on set, I remember like at the height of my struggles, I would like hide mm-hmm. eating. You know what I mean? But you know what though? Like I have to say there, I mean, I've worked on, you know, shows where I've, I mean, I've seen, I've had an EP come up to me during lunch casually, but go like, wow, that's a lot of olive oil. You know what I mean? Like, it exists. Yeah. It's not just, like, you make it up. Like, oh, no. People, it's a real thing. It's a real thing people are watching. But not always. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not that. Anyway, I'm, like, I've, like, really moved past it. And I sort of, now I sort of pride myself on not being like that. Yeah. Although well, then again, I'm kind of lying. Because, I like, we I restrict shit. We, yeah. yeah, we I restrict stuff all yeah. the time. I work out now. I don't work out because right. I love working out. I'm not someone who's like, I just need the endorphins. I'm like, no, I care. <laughs> I'm, you know, I have to take off my clothes now. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. It's <laughs> a thing. You know, I, I have my own shit. It's just never been food. Right. Which, you know, right. I, I do feel lucky in that because I have seen some, some pretty vicious eating disorders that my friends have dealt with and it and it's terrible i know it really is i feel very grateful to have most mostly gotten past that because it used to torture me oh thanks um okay so okay can you talk about like what what, uh, was there a defining moment was there a moment where you like i'm an actor or i want to be an actor i mean I found an old yearbook that was like, you know, where do you want to be at 30? And I said, you know, actor or singer. Granted, 75% of the people in the book said actor or singer. Uh-huh. But I did think, wow, like, that's so cool. I'm I'm doing that. Yeah. And, and I wanted that at 10. So. Um, Is that your first memory? Like at, at 10, you remember thinking I want to no, be an actor? No, I remember a weird, I remember at like five or six doing some show called uh the princess and the pimple i'm sure it was like written by my teacher (laughs) but i remember i like was running across the stage which was just classroom i remember running across the stage and uh falling 
at not on purpose i fell and i got up and i turned to the audience and i said i'm just so excited to see my face in the mirror like it was the first improv i ever did that's amazing and it got a laugh and i remember that but let me preface this with saying like i remember remembering that i'm not sure if i actually remember that but i that story has been told to me a lot and to myself a lot so yeah I know it happened, but I'm not sure if I was like, then I want to be an actor. Yeah. I wanted to be a singer. I was training to be a classical singer for a long time. Like opera. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was in San Francisco Girls Choir. Do you? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. When did you start that? When I was, how old was I? Um, I'm trying to remember. Maybe, maybe nine or 10. Okay. Something like that. Uh, maybe a little earlier. Um, but I remember really loving that. And then I shaved my head. <laughs> Did I shave my head first? I was in girls choir and I was kind of getting over it. It was very restrictive. Uh-huh. Um, also it's a, a big lot deal. Of, a lot it's of a Jesus deal. and uh-huh. a little uh-huh. Jewish girl. So yeah. um, I started to become a teenager and I was like, I don't know if this is for me. And then my friend was auditioning for San Francisco School of the Arts and I decided not to audition for singing. I decided to do acting because she was doing that. And I did a monologue from In the Boom Boom Room by David Rabe. Yeah, great, which, great play. Which right. my mother rehearsed with which me every mo- night. Which monologue? I can't remember. Do you remember. Okay, yeah. All I know is I was a stripper yeah, and I yeah. was at 13 trying to get into high school with a stripper I know, monologue. I get it. Uh, my mother. Um, <laughs> we all did that monologue, though. That's, I oh, know I'm that sure. monologue. Like, in, in, like, way before we should have. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's really well written. I mean, it's yeah, good material. Yeah, he was a great writer. And, yeah. <laughs> um, so I remember being like, I'll try this acting thing. But my dad, this is five answers to this question. Um, but my dad has a story about me watching um, Star Trek Next Generation. And I turned to him and I said, I'm going to do that someday. And my joke was always, how do you know I wasn't talking about space travel? But he, he, <laughs> he swears up and down. He had never seen such like commitment and self-assurance that like that was going to be what I did and he said he knew at that moment that I was going to be an actor wow and so how old were you then that I was 12 and you remember that moment no not at all okay so um so do you remember like a moment like later then when so so like it started where you were sort of you know I don't know you just kind of knew you wanted to do this I guess my parents are artists so there was no um I didn't have that, like, get a real job, or that's not serious. And, and then what happened? Like, did you went to San Francisco uh, High School of the Arts, mm-hmm. and then did you, like, were you really good at it? Like, what, what kept you going? Yeah, I mean, I got really into Shakespeare, and I won the, the like, citywide Shakespeare competitions, and then went to the national, and like, I got to travel. Monologue, like, yeah. Um, and I really liked that, and I thought, ooh, I get to travel. I went to New York, and, like, you know they competed at Lincoln Center when oh I was gosh, 15 so cool. 16 and yeah. that was so cool I was like this is amazing so again I thought I was going to be like a very serious Shakespearean actor yeah um uh, I wasn't funny at all uh-huh. um I don't think that anybody would have been like you know what I was going to do is going <laughs> to be on sitcoms yeah um, yeah I thought I was. By the way, like, I'm the same. I, yeah. I, I like do a lot of comedy too, and totally. and I and it I was it was like never like that. Like yeah. I was like destined to become like a detective or something. Yeah. Or like a lawyer or totally. like 
you know, Meryl Streep or something. Yeah. I mean, she Mer- we all thought we were Meryl Streep. Yeah, we all- <laughs> <laughs> That's what we really thought. Let's um, be real. We were all Yeah, we were all going to do Sophie's like, choice. I'm going to be the best yeah. actor in the world. Um, well. How old were you when you started? Don't yourself short, by the way. <laughs> um, I started when I knew, I knew I wanted to be an actor when I was eight. Oh. We had a circus teacher come to school oh. and do, and she actually, she gave me, um, I'm talking about inappropriate monologues. I was doing for our show, I did a St. Joan for oh, yeah. George Bernard Shaw's St. Joan, Light Your Fire. Like the monologue that like St. Joan does like right, like to the jury right before she's about to be burned at the stake. Yeah, we would have been friends. I was eight years old. <laughs> totally. Great. <laughs> but it was that moment I was like, oh yeah, I think I like this. Like I think I could do this. And then I started going to ACT. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, has there what do you what keeps you acting now like has there has there been I mean obviously you've had there's been a long journey like you've 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 gone from like this chick in San Francisco who like kind of wanted to act and was watching space shows to like I mean you're you you know you're like you've been nominated for so many awards you're you're working with like the coolest people on the coolest networks and the coolest stuff and doing movies and I mean amazing plays you were in the Coen Brothers play right I meant to look this up can you just record Oh, this is recorded. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. listen back to this when I'm feeling bad. No. <laughs> it sounds like very impressive. You, <laughs> you are that. very Great. impressive. You're very, very talented and very impressive. So, like, has there been, I mean, is there a moment when, have have you had any redefinition in terms of your purpose in this? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I lived around the corner from you for a little while, remember? doing When I was doing oh. Traffic Light, I was oh. renting from Steve... Rosen, Rosen. CV Row. Um, yeah. And that was my first, like, I have money job. Like, yeah. it was my first, I was like, I got a TV show. Yeah. Like, this is it. And I was so unhappy mm-hmm. and so confused by my own unhappiness because, you know, I was a waitress for many years and that was, that was, the goal was to make a living at this and, and a good living TV pays. And I really actually, you know, I loved the creator of Traffic Light, Bob Fisher, but I, um, and I, Nelson Franklin, I had like all these great people, but it just, I was alone in LA mm-hmm. living in a one bedroom um, that was totally nice. Thank you, Steve Rosen. But uh, I was just alone and lonely. Everybody else on the show lived here. I was just out here. I would go and I would work all day and then I'd come home and fall asleep while eating to Real Housewives. Yeah. Like I just had no life. I had yeah. no nothing. And I was like, what? I don't get it. Like I thought this would like fix the hole inside me and right. like everything's good from now on because I also thought that how poor I was was a huge reason I was so unhappy mm-hmm. for a lot of my life. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'm rich now. Like what is wrong with me? And then I go into the self-hatred of what is wrong with me. But it was really good that I went through that because it just illuminated. It's why I decided to get married. I never wanted to get married. All of a sudden, I'd been with Josh probably five or six years at that time, and I turned around. I was like, "Okay, let's do that." And so, talk about that. What like what was the journey of that? Um, What what did getting married to Josh have to do with this illumination that you had? What just made it so clear, like nothing. It's not important. All the success stuff is is actually just so not real mm-hmm. um, in so many different ways. It's mm-hmm. not real. And I just went, wow, I've been working so hard for this and I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't care deeply. I care a bit, but I don't. But it doesn't 
mean anything in terms of who I am. So, by the way, you're literally, I mean, I don't know, the fifth uh, f- fifth actor who sat in that chair and told, like, basically the identical story. Mm-hmm. The, the first big job they got, like, the first thing that they were like, this is it, like, mm-hmm. I made it, was followed by a depression of some sort mm-hmm. or, like, just a letdown, a mm-hmm. real letdown. Um, and I myself had a, a very similar thing. I, mm-hmm. My first big starring role in a TV show was like the war. I was could not have been more depressed and mm-hmm. upset. And like, meanwhile, you have all these people that are like, hey, we no wait, you're doing everything. Like, why are you so upset? Like mm-hmm. you ha- you're living the dream, but you're just not like you said, it's not filling the hole. Right. Yeah. Um, and um, I think like this is something that's really it's like almost like you don't believe it until it's happened to you. Like you don't believe that. I mean, we're, we are really convinced. Everyone's really convinced that if you get that thing on the outside that you've Mm -hmm. been dreaming of, like if you get whatever that, if it's the job or the fame or the, like the car or the girl or the whatever, that you will actually be happier. And like, this is firsthand experience from you saying like, that's not true. Well, I used to be so ashamed of that. And what I realized that it's actually a part of success, that a part of success is seeing that it's empty, but you Mm -hmm. cannot see it until you have it. So it's a huge privilege to be able to see that emptiness. Right. And I still struggle with it. I think, uh, I sort of always in the back of my mind think, oh yeah, but, but if I had, because you can always look up always, right? Always. Always. You can always feel bad about yourself in this business. And there's always someone there to help if you'd like. Yeah. So, but that's really unhelpful. And also, uh, you know, I'm not like a gratefulness journal kind of person, but uh, I do have little tricks to just like jolt myself back into reality. You know, I mean, the reality is, yes, you should be insanely grateful for all this opportunity. And even if you're on something that you don't necessarily believe in, if you have the money to, I mean, we are so goddamn privileged. Uh, but it's okay to not think that it doesn't make you happy. Mm -hmm. And that is part of what success is, is realizing that that stuff doesn't make you happy at every level. Now that's like an, that's like a sort of an internal, that's like a spiritual success in a way. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, and again, because I grew up in San Francisco among like, my dad is a Buddhist priest and you know, I, I grew up around sort of, a lot of woo-woo, I'm very skeptical of it. But as I get older, I'm kind of like, who cares? Whatever works. Like, yeah, whatever just, works. We, we all die. Let's so, try to be happy. So I want to I talk about, like, uh, what made you want to jump in with your now husband mm-hmm. um, from that experience. But I also, you mentioned um, tricks. You mentioned your little tricks other mm-hmm. than gratitude journaling. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about those, too. Um, maybe we'll talk about your husband first. Okay. So tell me, like, so what happens? So you're sort of miserable. You're sort of like, I mean, look, you you feel great. You know, you're you know that you have a lot to be grateful yes. for. You're like, I'm on the show. I'm making money. I'm in L.A. There's nothing really wrong. I'm having a relatively good experience, but like, mm-hmm. I just don't feel good. Mm-hmm. And so, and, but that and that made you be like, you know what? Let's get married. Yeah. Well, so I met Josh when I was very very young, and I never ever wanted to get married. My parents have five between the two of them. So it wasn't like I was like, marriage is it. Um, 
But I met Josh when I was very young. One of the first things I said to him when he was like, I don't know if you're the one after a couple months. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If I'm the one, I need to fuck a lot more people. Like, I am 22. I'm not, like, I'm not ready for that. Yeah. Um, but then we just kept going and kept being together. <laughs> and it kept being good for most of the time, you know? Um, yeah. So uh, I, we're, we're probably about five years in when... I'm doing traffic light and he, his parents have been together. God, I think we just did 50 years. They celebrated. Wow. Oh my so, gosh. And your parents are still together too. No, no, no. Okay. Five, five marriages between the two of them. And okay. So they now they're like they number not... two. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. Got it. Got it. Got my it. dad has been with the same woman for, for many years. My mom, uh, is, is no longer with someone. Okay. Um, but, uh, so we just come from different backgrounds right. about that. He's much more traditional mm-hmm. in that way and, and much more believing in love. Like if you go to, jo- we have all sorts of friends, you know, and they go through breakups. Josh just believes in love so much yeah. in a way that I'm like, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> um, some people aren't supposed to be together. Yeah. Um, it's not always enough. Yeah. So he was like, you should probably get right. Like, I think I would like to get married. And I was like, no, 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 no. Um, and then, you know, I went to therapy for many years for other reasons, mainly because I was mean to him. Hmm. Um, and I'm a big fan of therapy, by the way. I've been at twice, twice a week for about 25 years. Oh, wow. Love it. Yeah. I did a lot of therapy in my twenties because, um, Josh was the first uh, boyfriend to say that I was mean to him and me believe it because I had always dated mean guys before. So mm-hmm. there was no, when someone was like, you're mean, I was like, well, fuck you, you're mean. I mean, yeah. I, they were, I dated a lot and not all, they have some good exes, but I did a lot of like nasty people yeah. who, who didn't like me very much, which I really liked. <laughs> um, and, uh, Josh said it and I was like, Oh shit, I am like when mm. we fight, I go for the jugular. I'm like, I will take you down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I went to work on that, but also to look at commitment issues, mm-hmm. um, in terms of relationship and other, you know, just me stuff. Mm-hmm. But in relation to Josh, that was some of the stuff that I was working on. So I'm here in LA, I'm completely miserable, um, and lonely and sad. And it just clicked. I was like, Oh, that's important. Josh is important. My Mm. family is important. And that is my chosen family is, is Josh. And I want to celebrate that. And, you know, it doesn't matter what you think it matters, what you do ultimately. Right. Right. You know, you can think I want, you know, so-and-so to be present but president but you have to vote for them too like yeah. I, just, I just believe that wherever you put your energy is like that's that's your life you can you can have values but unless they're in practice it doesn't really matter yeah and i was like i want to put my end i want to focus on him um because that's important to me and that uh oh god i feel emotional because i feel like i also need to refocus on him now <laughs> um but uh I, I just was like, yeah, let's do that. And of mm. course he freaked out immediately because, you know, if someone's saying, no, I'm not interested in marriage for many years and then they turn around and they are, then you have to feel your feelings about marriage, which right. he didn't feel at all for right, a long time. Right. You know, he was like, I want to. Wait, what? No, yeah. I'm scared. And I was like, fuck you. I did all this work to get here. So he had his freak out and then we yeah. ended up, you know, getting engaged. We went to couples therapy yeah. before to sort of prep that. We like to pop into couples therapy when we're having a hard time to yeah. have a space for that. And, Love um, couples therapy. Yeah, I do too. It's so funny. I read a New York Times article a long time ago about couples therapy. It's just so negative. I don't know how anyone 
is in a long-term relationship without some kind of therapy at some point along the way or like recurring moments of therapy. I mean, relationships are really, you know, like people change. Like there's a lot that happens. There's a lot. uh, Yeah. So, so basically it sounds like your values sort of shifted. Yeah. In that moment. I was incredibly ambitious for so many years because my ambition was going to help me to not be a waitress 50 hours a week. Right. You know, it was like a survival thing. And as, you know, as my therapist says, (laughs) you know, some tools are no longer useful, but you're still using them because they're just sort of on default. Right, right, right. And I was like, oh, like, this is not a useful tool anymore. This, the, the ambition is no longer, or the, or the, the pushing away in the name of ambition, or what's the useful tool that you, or the tool that was no longer useful that you I I think ambition itself, but like, the, like, I gotta, if I'm not working, I'm not, Right. You know, doing I, I, I really like a lot of actors and I, I wish I could say otherwise. I wish I could pretend this wasn't true. But a lot of my identity is tied up in being an actor. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that really served me mm-hmm. to get to where I am um, in terms of my ambition. But uh, it doesn't serve me in terms of how I want to live my life anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a luxury to have less ambition now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's because I am financially stable. Money is very important to me in a way that I don't think is healthy and that I've really worked on. But having like a base, like I don't need to worry about money right now is is a really uh, stabilizing thing for me. Talk about money being important to you because, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's like you're right. Like I sense you know, a lot of people say like it shouldn't it shouldn't be because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just money. Mm-hmm. And like also you just reported this firsthand experience of getting a lot of money suddenly and being mm-hmm. miserable. So like you see it from both sides mm-hmm. because money is I mean, look, we all everyone wants money. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's like a I mean, not. Ev- well, some people will say like fuck money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like some people really are pretty mm-hmm. determined to not mm-hmm. have money. But but you see it from both sides. Like money is important. It's something that you want. And also it's something that you you want to what how how would you say that like not not put in the in the front and center of your values yeah i mean i think it's even more important for me to not put uh put a uh, the um attention from success in the values than it is the money from success Mm. um i think that's where i get really fucked up is is actually the attention as opposed like when the the year of you're the worst which was sort of the year that I got a lot of attention in season two was my hardest year ever because I felt so split in terms of uh how people were viewing me and and the sort of accolades I was getting and and I just felt like a a total disappointment to to who that was supposed to be um so that's the the dangerous side I wouldn't say the money from traffic light I was like oh it doesn't matter that Money has always mattered to me because I didn't have any. <laughs> so it really was like, can I get coffee and can I get toothpaste? Maybe right. just the toothpaste right now. Right. Uh, you know, and and let me be clear that I wasn't food insecure. I w- even though I grew up with, uh, you know, parents who had very little money um, and had help or, or whatever, uh, it was not like I was... Like I you weren't st- have, you weren't at the yes. level where you were. I just want to be clear about, about that because there are people right. who live of course with food insecurity and yeah. that is a whole different level. Yeah. Um. 
but uh, you know, my mom bought single rolls of toilet paper because you couldn't buy multiples. Right. So uh, witnessing that, I was like, I don't ever want to do that. I don't want to ever are have you five able credit to, cards. Are you so. able to not do that? Like when you know, like are you like for like I know like my mom was always very worried about money, and we also you know I wasn't by any means food insecure, and we you know I had a, a relatively nice upbringing Mm -hmm. I went to private school you Mm -hmm. know what I mean like it was fine but my mom grew up very poor Mm -hmm. and was always like there was always like some danger that we would be destitute Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like I mean and it was really real for her Mm -hmm. and so weirdly I sort of adopted that and like even when I've had the most 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 money Mm -hmm. I'll be the person at Ikea that's like okay but can I buy that extra pot for three ninety nine? It's a wait. Like, I don't know. Like I, you know, or whatever. Like I, I have, we all have our own, you know, when we're in that mode where we feel like we don't have enough, we mm-hmm. have our own s- sets of behaviors. Um, and so what do you experience that still? Like, Oh yeah, I'm still very cheap. Like I don't take cabs. I don't, I will do, especially experientially, which is what I think the switch is. The the unhealthy relationship to money for me is that I won't spend money on experience, but I will mm. on stuff because I understand like, what di- stuff Like out is. to dinner. Like you won't go out to dinner. Oh, well, that's or like Food I'll spend money. <laughs> so maybe it's not all experience. But like, like I, I will be very worried about our spending on a trip or uh-huh. on a, um, or a massage uh-huh. or a cab late right. at night. Um, I don't like to do that. But then – a thing that I can have makes sense because I can always sell it. Like, and I, you know, grew up flipping clothes and doing, like, I understand how to like, right. I can always get rid of But that. then do you, do you like, and I find this like with weight too, like, I mean, this is, I'm like mm-hmm. suddenly making a parallel between feeling like you don't have enough money and mm-hmm. that you're, you're not pretty enough, that you're too, <laughs> that you're not, that you're not skinny enough. Yeah. Um, which a lot, and I think a lot of people make that parallel, but like, you know, like I used to sing this song. This is so dumb, but I used to sing this song that went like this, and I would clap. Sometimes I'm fat, and other times I'm skinny. Sometimes I'm fat because, like, you know, like you go, like sometimes you wake up and you look at yourself in the mirror, and you're like, "Wow, I'm really, I look great." And then mm-hmm. other times you're like, "Ugh, I look fat." And it can happen like in one the course of one hour, mm-hmm. you know. And I feel like the same way a little bit with money, where it's like some days you I feel. It, like it almost doesn't matter what I have in my bank account and mm-hmm. really and I'll tell you like as an actor I've gone up and down mm-hmm. I mean I've had a lot of money one year and then like you know I have to take a loan from my retirement account the next year which mm-hmm. is already by the way again I realize that mm-hmm. that's even a privileged thing to say but mm-hmm. like you know where I'll feel scared yeah I'll feel like I I need to get a job or I'm I'm really gonna have to like mm-hmm. move and um but like it's almost like there you know you we can have a sense of deprivation kind mm-hmm. of whether no matter how much money we have in our in our bank accounts is that something that you um contend with have noticed like oh yeah no i think it's it's all in my head my my dad my stepmom have some money now from her company and um they are so healthy with it they just use it to make life easier and then they give most of it away Mm, like yeah. they just are like it doesn't it's it's not at all tied up in identity right and that's the problem for me is like I still have like a poor person identity that I'm like Ugh. and I actually really don't I grew up you know I, I remember going out with my friend I won't say his name because I don't want him to feel bad but he knows all this but 
he comes from a lot of money. Mm-hmm. All his friends come out from a lot of money. And I would go out with them in my early 20s. And I was such a bitch. Because <laughs> I was just like these fucking rich assholes. I mean, I have a real sense of that. Like, yeah. you rich assholes. So, right. like, I don't like... Look, I'm rich now. Like, that's the reality. Yeah. yeah. I am rich. Yeah, yeah. And, but immediately my body goes no i'm not and so and so has more money and then maybe yeah. i'll lose it all and i could make fifteen thousand dollars next year. you know like yeah. i immediately like shrink from that because i hated rich people growing up right, right i thought right. they were all assholes right. so uh you know i i do think that that the identity part of it is just very complicated and do you confusing. ever though like has there ever been a moment where you can just I mean, do you have moments, though, where you um, sort of can be unselfconscious about your success and, and how much money you have? Like, do you have moments where, like, you know, you, you buy the nice thing or, you know, like, I don't know what it is for you, like a bag or a jacket or a... Rachel Comey. That's yeah, Rachel Comey. <laughs> yeah, you buy some great Rachel Comey piece and yeah. you're like, wow, like, I enjoy this fully, 100%. No. But I do, I mean, I do purchase things. I do spend some money. It's not that I don't ever spend money, but I don't ever feel totally okay about it. Right, right, right. I always feel a little like, you're a disgusting human, and like, you should be also just giving it all away, because who cares, and why do you deserve it? You know, I mean, like, you go through all this stuff. Right, right, Um, Which is, you know, again, I can think whatever I want, but... uh, values are in what you do right so um. so what do you do with that fear that like you could only make fifteen thousand dollars next year i mean do you like do you like what do you do like do you have you ha- i mean look you've you've but you're on a long running show yeah. right so this is four seasons five, five seasons yeah. so that's like amazing yeah um do you ever get paralyzed about life stuff anymore or have you f- sort of ridden the wave long enough to be like you know what in reality, I'm okay. This is okay. I have, I own a house. You know what I mean? Like, do you, or do you still get scared sometimes? I'm still scared, but I am better in that, like, for the first time ever, I'm a very, first of all, I really like to work, Mm -hmm. but I also work from fear that I'll never get anything else. Um, so, um, that has I've been able to manage that a bit and say no and have downtime now I'm not great at the downtime yet Mm -hmm. but I have like I basically took last year off I just said no to everything um I did a a play in New York um but and I didn't like psychologically handle it that well but I was able to do it Mm -hmm. so I guess the next step would be to like also enjoy the time off Mm -hmm. rather than just be like what have I done and what do you do with what do you do with fear like what do you so there's like different fears right there's like I want to talk about acting fear Mm -hmm. like I want to talk about Mm -hmm. you know what happens when you um because this is so so the purpose of my doing this show mm-hmm. is that, you know, we all feel fear, like mm-hmm. just by virtue of being human, um, actors and non-actors. And uh, and I want to I want to sort of I think actors have a lot of training in dealing with fear because we're mm-hmm. up against it all the time, not only in terms of the stuff that we're kind of talking about now, like our lifestyles and like the instability mm-hmm. of that and money and and work and no work. Um, the ups and downs, but also mm-hmm. in terms of just like on an everyday basis when you're walking into work mm-hmm. um, or just on an, an everyday basis when you're, you know, 
just freaked out by something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I feel like we learn, we have to learn how to navigate that fear in mm-hmm. such a way that it really can help our work instead mm-hmm. of hinder it. So I first want to talk about the lifestyle fear or what we sort of have talked about that mm-hmm. actually, but I, but like, is there, you know, do you have any tricks that help you refrain, help you kind of find reality when you're feeling like maybe I should say yes to that job or that audition or that like, wait, maybe I should, I should do something that you're not a hundred percent sure of mm-hmm. be out of fear. Do you mm-hmm. have any ways of talking yourself out of um, sort of making decisions that are driven by fear? I think what I have learned from my jealousy has been very helpful. Hmm. Like my jealousy of other actresses who, Josh always jokes, like I make them all my friends uh-huh. so that I can be happy for them instead of resent uh-huh. them, you know, and, and I have some really successful, beautiful, incredible friends. Oh, I love that you're talking about jealousy. I love, we haven't talked about jealousy much on this show. I myself have a lot of, je- I think we all, yeah. jealousy is a natural emotion, totally. guys. And I remember there's a real stigma attached to jealousy. Like we, we oftentimes just stuff jealousy way down into the depths of our shadows Mm -hmm. because we're told that like it's not okay ever to be jealous Mm -hmm. of people that you know and love and respect right but it is we all have jealousy so how do you deal with jealousy first so sometimes better than others but in my best version I use it as a way to deal with that should I or shouldn't I kind of question. Okay, and talk Would about so that. and so do this? Mm. They have the kind of career I want. They live the kind, they choose the kind of projects I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. They get all the opportunities I'd love to have, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the jealousy part. Like, why can't I get that? And they get everything. And oh, they're so good and they're so beautiful and they don't struggle at all. Sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, so that's like how I use that to help myself. I'm like, you know what? So-and-so wouldn't do that. And like, that's the kind of life I want to live. That's the kind of career choices I want to make. So I'm also not going so to So you use the jealousy almost as a signifier that that person has something to teach you. Yes. Has something I care about. It also, it I use it, uh, my jealousy in terms of um, my, uh, like, for example, um, not wearing makeup. Mm. Uh, I have very, I, I either wear none or I, you know, do it up, right? And and I've actually started to try to just wear a little instead uh-huh. <laughs> because there's this idea of, like, who is the woman who wears no makeup? Who is the woman who wears a ton of makeup? Yeah. And, like, I'm like, I'm the same person if I'm wearing a ton or not. Like, yeah. But, like, it means something to me. And I look at women who handle their... Uh, how they dress and how they present themselves and Uh like wow I want to be confident enough to go out without makeup great but I also like it's okay to want to like like right now I'm wearing mascara Uh like that's okay that doesn't mean I am less of a woman because I want to put mascara on and like to take away the black and whites so I look again I just look at the people that I admire uh, and say do I want to do I want to live my life like that or do I want to live my life this way? Um, right. So I, I use I use my jealousy to sort of signify, okay, that's a value that I'm interested in that, or that's a career I'm interested in or that's – and like that's why I'm so jealous. I, lo- I love so this. this. And here's – so I've worked with this woman named Lacey Phillips. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a site a website called free and native mm-hmm. um a blog i think and you know podcasts and a million things she's mm-hmm. an amazing her i i call her this <laughs> 
she does not call herself this, but I call her a professional manifestress. <laughs> um, but that is like what she does. She helps people manifest stuff. Yeah. She's an, and she's amazing. And she talks about expanders. Mm-hmm. So for instance, like she counsels people like when you're on Instagram or you're mm-hmm. on like Facebook or whatever, like mm-hmm. wherever you find the people that you tend to be jealous of, mm-hmm. um, re, you know, like there's some, there's a, to do exactly what you're talking about, to use that jealousy as sort of a, an alert to you mm-hmm. that that person might have something that you want and then to actually like in really go there like mm-hmm. investigate that person and use them in a way as as an expander she calls mm-hmm. them expanders so you know like whoever that person is for you to say like okay so yeah exactly what you're saying would that person take this job you know to kind of like instead of thinking of them as other than you mm-hmm. to really like step into their shoes for a second mm-hmm. and, and explore their lives mm-hmm. as you imagine their lives to be, because it's all a projection, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we don't actually know these people, but these people are, are in some ways, um, identities within us. Mm-hmm. So they're expansive for us. I mean, our, my imagination of whoever is, is just as valuable to look at as as you know whatever kind of parts of my own psyche I have mm-hmm. um, in terms of knowing myself and knowing what I want and like my imagination is is imagination is God that's what we were just talking about mm-hmm. another anyway um, so I love that you're talking about jealousy like that and I think that's like super useful like yeah. instead of like denying the jealousy like saying like oh because it's so uncomfortable like I don't mm-hmm. want to feel this yeah to kind of go and say like no like what is it that I really am w- needing mm-hmm. and wanting here like what w- and what and how to, can that inform me in in this journey and this lifetime how can I expand from this rather and than sometimes you discover the things you're jealous of are not actually things you need or want sometimes you're jealous like you mentioned Instagram you know I'll look at like somebody's like beautiful lifestyle blogger Instagram <laughs> and I'm like oh wow I, feel like, I don't I could probably do that i don't really want that right like, i don't really need that many followers or that much accolades or that right. much, you know what i mean so you can also go like well what's the real like but the the people that you're usually just like i wish i had that's pointing you somewhere right right the sort of like quick you know god i wish i looked like that model all right sure right <laughs> but it's not so um so then so you so we, you study people. That's one thing that helps you get over like this fear or get through the fear that you have in some of this lifestyle stuff. Yeah. I love people. I am a very like not cool, like back-footed kind of person. Like I feel like uh, most of my life I've been told like, you should probably back it up. But like what I loved about being a waitress was meeting people. I met my husband. I was his waitress. I was, I love people and I feel like I've had to train a little bit of that out of myself Um, like figure out how to set some boundaries and stuff yeah well and I can be too much for you know you can be too much for other people sometimes (laughs) I mean that's what being I'm thinking about being a kid too you know being an adult is also like allowing other people to have their space but I really really like people and I'm very um interested in people yeah in general yeah I think that's the you know, there are probably many reasons why I decided to be an actor. That is definitely one of them, along with the, you know, gaping hole of need or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I love people too. I totally identify with that. Um, and, and, um, 
I I find that I love people because like I just want to like know that know them. Well, it's right? so because it's so shocking. I think about like being a kid and like realizing people are different. Yeah. In a real way, yeah. rather than a like intellectual way. My parents had um. There's a Sufi Muslim personality type system called the Enneagram. Love the Enneagram. Yeah. What I, are you? I'm I'm a four. <laughs> I'm a four too. Yeah. With a three wing. No. Although. I should retake. So the four, so the four is the artist, two. right? Yeah. Uh, the four is the artist, and the three is the perfection. No, the no. two is the giver. I know no. that. What's three the th- is a performer. The perfor- performer. Yeah. And one f- is perfectionist. I don't. Okay, I can't remember right. the exact. Right. Okay. But so, but you go to two when you're unhealthy or when you're healthy. Um, I would say when I'm unhealthy, but two's the caretaker. Okay. You yeah. Know, I tend right. to get in, like I definitely need to be going to Al-Anon. <laughs> like I definitely yeah. go into a martyrdom caretaker mode that is not helpful for anybody. Uh huh. I do too. Yeah. And so. I and I also go to Al-Anon. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I'll see you there. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, but the problem is, is that then what happens is you resent you were re, you like yeah, as you an Al-Anon, it, and then right? you're like, and you want a lot of credit for it. Like, yeah, which is just so stupid. Yeah, yeah, you want to help people for you because you think that helping them yeah. will make you feel better in some way, unconsciously. Like yes, consciously, totally. you're like, I'm just giving I'm just you everything. Giving. But also, there's this. It's a total narcissist thing, right? Because you think people can't take care of themselves. I mean, right. God, me throwing a party is just a nightmare. <laughs> I'm just like, is everyone having? <laughs> oh, so and so's in the corner. I need to talk to them. They need to talk. You know, right. else, and it all manifest it all looks kind of nice but like it's probably better if you let people take care of themselves because they can how do you deal with that at work because like i you know when i'm on set or you know when i'm at work i want to take care of everyone i want to make sure that everyone is okay like have you worked through that in a conscious way because i have i've had to like i've had to be like you know what i am ultimately here to do a job Mm -hmm. and like i have to take care of myself first and I can't I can't be I can't like uh be so concerned with the feelings of not not how I interact with people but like like what I want to do is mm-hmm. just take on everyone's shit like I want to like, come to my trailer tell me mm-hmm. what's happening in your relationship you seem yeah. sad today yeah. like oh no you had a like to the hair yeah. and makeup people like you had a hard night last yeah. night like tell me all about it like yeah. I just want to listen yeah. to you and your things which is like you know uh, arguably like a beautiful impulse but yeah. meanwhile like I'm also probably should be looking over my lines or preparing for the scene that I'm about to do or whatever so have you had to deal with that in a conscious way definitely um I think I have not been super successful with it but uh I have learned to set boundaries with people and to say I can't be that for you right now Um, Or I can't actually, sometimes you can't, in crisis moments, sometimes you can't be a friend at work because you have to be a coworker. Mm -hmm. And um, I have, if anything has shown me that people can take care of themselves, it's in those moments because people who I love deeply have stepped up and dealt with themselves and given me space and that's made our friendships stronger or our work environment stronger. I mean, so, so you're talking I, about like coworkers. Yes, coworkers. Mm-hmm. Because you end up friends with your co- I mean, of course. And this is by the way, I should say, you know, like I'm always saying this reminder on this show because I just I think it's really important that this is not just a show for actors. This is a show for everyone and like, you know, I mean, everyone 
in any job has people that are knocking on their office door. Mm -hmm. Like if you're at a job for longer than, let's say, two weeks, you're making friends, they're coming to your office or they're, you know, you guys are meeting at the water cooler, you're Mm -hmm. going out to lunch together and you, you like you get to know people. And so and 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 if you're a caretaker, like it sounds like you are and certainly like I am, like it's hard to sometimes say like like I want to take care of you, but I have to get this in, you know, Mm -hmm. like this paper in or this article in or whatever I'm doing. Or frankly, like I love you and I want to take care of you, but like we've talked about the same issue like a bazillion times and there's only so much I can do to help Mm -hmm. you feel better. Um, Or like I, I'm a wreck today and I need to make sure that my mind is screwed on straight. And Mm -hmm. so like I don't actually have the bandwidth totally to maybe like, you know, spend two hours talking about your, the fight you had last night or whatever. And so like, what do you, are there, I mean, like, do you actually like, do you have a practice in this? Like, is there like, what advice would you give someone who's having a hard time setting a boundary with someone that they work with? I would just say, give people the opportunity to step up. You know, we make a lot of decisions about what other people can and can't do. And sometimes that's real. I mean, if you have someone who's who's really misbehaving, sometimes they can't step up. But again, you can't take over responsibility for them. So, uh, and the only way they're going to step up is if you back off sometimes because sometimes you're that crutch that allows them to misbehave. Totally. It's just like, you know, I misbehave most with the people I love the most because, you know, I'll go out and I'll have dinner with friends with Josh after a fight and we'll have a great time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's good because it gets us out of our <laughs> mood. But it's also like because I've completely fallen apart with him because he knows me so well and because I can. So sometimes you just have to say, nope, you don't get to you don't get to misbehave around me. You know, I'll tell Josh, just leave. If I'm if I'm tantruming, you you should leave. You don't deserve that. Right. You know, and vice right. versa. Like just okay. Right. <laughs> that's your shit. Right. And not right. take it so we we take things on it sounds like both of us very personally mm-hmm. and it's just not personal and there's really like not always I, like us. from firsthand experience you know that it can be very valuable to be left in that moment of tantrum mm-hmm. and to have to figure out how yeah. to deal oh, I'll with completely your shit. snap out of it i'll be yeah. like oh, i was just such a bitch right right because well, feelings move through us like yeah. feelings are like the weather they come mm-hmm. and they go and it's very valuable uh, in my opinion, to be able to say like feelings are just feelings. They're not, they don't mean anything. They're not that important. Just because you are tremendously angry, it doesn't mean that your anger should have you do something about it. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we're just really angry and our minds say like, okay, you have to put an end to this situation or you have to like really confront this person or write that email or whatever. But that's not always the case. So do you feel like, uh, so here's my question. Do you have a practice in that? Do you have a practice for helping you to separate, um, what is feeling from what is fact or, or what is, what is feeling that is just feeling for feeling's sake. And I mean, that's a little bit dismissive, but like, do you have a practice that says like, uh, that helps you move through feeling and, um, regain a sense of centeredness that, that like allows you to move forward in a way that you feel good about? Honestly, for me, it's, um, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like a 10 at this, but honestly, it's just breath. I mean, Mm. breathing is really important and the, um, (laughs) the, uh, 
the health coach that I'm talking to as well was just like, you got to just breathe more, you know, mm. just like sit and breathe. Mm. Um, but I do find if I just sort of ground myself and breathe, I often feel better. I can often clarify like, okay, yeah, I'm pissed right now. All right. Mm -hmm. So you're pissed. You also got to do a job. You also mm -hmm. got to do, you know, when I have reactions and I'm trying to be much less reactive, I do take things very personally. I do, um, you know, I can be moody mm -hmm. and I, it's been something that I've really worked on. Um, because I find, and my husband too, you know, if you, you don't need to respond to something that upsets you immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, and usually I regret it when I do, mm -hmm. you know, I'll get upset and I'll be like, well, this and this and this, and then like what you'll text somebody or you'll email someone or you'll, yeah, you'll react immediately to someone react in the uh -huh. as opposed to just like, okay, like it'll be in a couple hours. It's like, I'm not on Twitter anymore, but it's, mm -hmm. it feels a little like the Twitter thing of like immediate, 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 and all mm -hmm. of the information. I'm okay getting my news an hour later. Right. It's okay. I don't need it the second it happens. I don't right. need to watch everything in real time. And um, do you feel, and breathing is your number, is that your number one practice? So like, and describe that for me. Like what, what happens? Like, well, I guess it's kind of a body awareness thing because I didn't grow up with any sort of body awareness. Like mm -hmm. I didn't dance. I didn't do sports. I didn't work out until I was in my thirties. So I'm just really not in my body most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so that's been the thing that's helped me the most. So like, like if I'm lying in bed to go to sleep, what I'll do is I'll just like put awareness throughout my body mm -hmm. and like I'll relax my jaw that I always hold mm -hmm. and I'll sort of just like let everything relax and just by putting attention on it and breathing through uh -huh. it. And I find that that's very helpful. So like if I just go, okay, it's it's a sort of a mini meditation. I just And do you me meditate it. other than that? Other I otherwise I no. don't. No, my husband does, my father obviously does. Yeah. So this is a practice wherein you you get in touch with your breath. You feel whatever you feel, the rise and fall or the breath coming in and out of your nose mm -hmm. and you essentially scan your body. Yeah. And this is something that you'll do at work if you're feeling reactive or in yeah. bed and if step you need to away go to sleep. From people too because uh -huh. I'll interact with people if they're around and not you know, right. like I've started to, um, I like to read on set, but I don't always, uh, I'm not always able to because of lines. I won't be able to do that. Um, so now I've started like bringing a podcast to set. I like to be very social on set, but once in a while you need to sort of just calm down or whatever. And like we did an overnight the other night and you know, you get cranky at four in the yeah, morning and I was yeah. like, all right, maybe this is not the time to catch up about, you know, somebody's kids and I'll just, you know, sit and listen to my you know, right. Crime. <laughs> so you take some space. Yeah. And is that hard for you as a caretaker to like? Totally. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's hard to just put some headphones on and like yeah. go off into your corner because you feel like, oh, but so-and-so maybe wants to talk yeah. or maybe they think that I'm rejecting them yeah. or disappoint <laughs> I am disappointing yeah. someone. Well, I both really crave being alone and have a very hard time being alone too. Yeah. I'm so an only child. So being alone was, you know, I just read books and I, that was my sort of world in many ways but there's also and again something I'm working on a lot of fear being alone or like yeah. not knowing I I do tasks you know I'll clean the entire house I have a hard time just sort of now is it fear of missing out or do you have a genuine terror no, of... I don't have a lot of FOMO which is great I know because I can't I know. like I feel like that would be something I would trend towards but I'm okay to miss stuff or to not be a part of stuff I like staying home yeah um but it's a it's a um it's literally what's going to happen what's going to happen in my mind if i just let it 
be like I I will um because I trend towards depression I feel like there's a um I'm scared that I'll sort of just trip out a little bit yeah um yeah I I feel very like your, your mental state can feel like it's can be unstable sometimes yeah like I just would get I I get scared of what I'll find. I think a lot about death mm-hmm. and I have a lot of fear around death that you're going to die or that Josh is going to die or that mainly just that we all die, that uh-huh. it's not a death like, Oh, somebody's going to kill me. It's more, I'm, I'm not comfortable with the idea that like this life is fleeting and like, what is the point of it all? Yeah. I can get very like lost in the, like, what, do, what is, what is this? Sort of like an ex- there, existential, existential. Terror. Yeah. They're, like yeah. when I was 12, I read, you know, The Stranger and stopped doing my homework. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, it doesn't matter in two years whether I've done my homework. Two years will right, pass. Right, right, right. My teachers were like, cool. Uh? Um, <laughs> you know, but I, I, so I trend towards that kind of thinking. Yeah. They like, gave me Einstein's Dreams. Have you ever read that? No. They had good teachers. I also went to private schools for a lot of yeah. my life on scholarship. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, they gave me Einstein's Dreams, which is... Um, uh, Alan Lightman book that uh-huh. uh, sort of talks about string theory and the idea of it's a novel, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's a, the idea of sort of every step you take has a ripple. Right, exactly. And that that actually was maybe oh, the way to live life as opposed to like there's nothing. <laughs> right, right. That like, right. I guess I'm just trying to like uh, distill that in my own brain right now. Like, <laughs> yeah, like th- there's nothing there is nothing but it all reacts to something yeah (laughs) like it's both yeah or like or there is everything nothing is everything right so it's like there's no rhyme or reason but but it it still is impacted by every other no rhyme or reason yeah exactly (laughs) well and it's why i'm more open to like a I've been very anti-spirituality because yeah. I find it all sort of, especially well, and in your LA, dad, right? So ridiculous. And how, but, but how do you think, how much do you think that was influenced by your dad? Like the fact that you had a Buddhist, mm-hmm. uh, would you say a Buddhist teacher or? Yeah, he's a Buddhist teacher. Yeah. So like the fact that that was sort of very around you in your childhood, like how much of that do you think made it so that you were just like, you know what? I don't, I'm not even going to meditate. Yeah. I think part of it is just reaction to whatever you grew up with and wanting to find your own path to something. Um, I think there's probably also my mother's judgment in there. Yeah. They broke up when I was very young, maybe one or two, um, because my dad joined a cult. I mean, that's not like me outing my dad. My yeah. Dad. I mean, he found a guru who was like, you know, my dad's been very into spirituality. He was very Jewish. Then he uh-huh. was, you know, very into this uh, guru. And then he was very into Buddhism. Uh-huh. He sort of does things all the way. Uh-huh. He also swam in the bay for years uh-huh. south end rowing club and then dropped that completely and then he rode you know a hundred miles a day he he's all or nothing yeah yeah so um i think my mom had a lot of judgment around his spirituality which got you know sort of demystified it was seeing yeah. what your dad was going through and like the kind of dude your dad was i mean like he also is like i mean we have a very good relationship my yeah father and i because we separated at such a young age. I moved out of his house at 13, basically. And uh-huh. he, he let me, which really helped our relationship. Oh, wow, yeah. So, I, you know, there's we have a very healthy relationship, and I do admire him. And what, what Buddhism has done for him, him is incredible. 
And so does he still advise you uh, with like Buddhist techniques and stuff? Like totally. like if you're tripping out and mm-hmm. you're in your house, let's mm-hmm. say you're like doing some chores and all yeah. of a sudden you're like, wait, this doesn't mean anything. And all yeah. of a sudden I'm feeling kind of low and yeah. depressed and scared, mm-hmm. um, which is another state of feeling that I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you call your dad? Like, what do you do? Sometimes. No, normally I sit with it and... I tell myself I have to deal with it by myself. I mean, I, that that's my, not consciously, but I don't reach out. I and have, you don't journal. I, I did for years, just not. But currently. not right now. Yeah. But you've, you know, you're you're not, you know, you're thirty five, six. I just 36. turned thirty six. Oh, congratulations! Mm-hmm. Happy birthday! So, like, you you've learned how to sort of navigate your fears, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you familiarize, and maybe there's part of your mind. Uh, that says like you know what I'm, I'm familiar with this mm-hmm. this particular bad trip and like this isn't you know getting back to this thing of like um, we're able to say this this is just a feeling mm-hmm. this doesn't mean I have to do anything um, well in you're... Buddhism they would say you know he, my dad would be like watch that right They're, you know it's just sort of passing right just keep an eye on it take the judgment out is what he always says because mm. i'm very judgmental like instead of saying like i hate that i'm feeling like yes. this what i hate wrong? myself for what feeling is wrong scared. with me is like a running phrase in my head uh-huh. whenever i feel anything it's right. like what is wrong with you that you feel that you should just be happy and grateful all the time what is right. wrong with you and that of course is not helpful because then you punish without changing anything because you right. don't have to actually deal with it. Right. You just punish yourself and, and then so, it feels like you've done something. And when you actually have to deal with it, like you just said, like if you can take that judgment out and you can just say like there is fear here, mm-hmm. right? Or I am, yeah. I feel afraid or there is fear. Mm-hmm. Then what happens to the fear? Does it move? I mean, like my experience is that fear moves. Like mm-hmm. I'm just wondering in your experience, like how do you go from the bad trip to mm-hmm. feeling better? Like, can you just, I know this is a tricky mm-hmm. question because it's really subtle, but like, can you try to describe that process a little bit for yourself mm-hmm. or for, for us, but for your process for us? You know, it's interesting. I, I'm, I feel myself wanting to come up with an answer and I right. don't think I actually, you don't have, have to, I think I don't have an answer because it's still something that I struggle with. Is, right. And it's why I'm so much more open to spirituality or whatever, in this next phase of life because I do feel like, oh, who cares? I just want, like, I want to be better. I want to do better for the world. I want to be happier. I want to make people happier. So, like, wherever I find that is fine. Um, And why I would be interested in doing My dad also does something called Ridwan Diamond Heart Approach, which is like Mm. a sort of, he calls it inquiry, but it's it's a mix of analysis and spirituality. And is that like a counseling? He coaches people, or he this does is that too? Yeah, with himself, both. So this is a process you can do by yourself. Yeah, well, Diamond Heart Approach is a specific thing with a guru named Hamid. Um, you know, and Dad jokes it's a cult, but a good one. <laughs> um, but it is like a, my understanding of it, which is very minimal, is that. Uh, Hamid had a sort of spiritual awakening about spiritual awakenings. It's mm. like we all have these moments in our lives that you feel all this thing, but like what is it? How do you 
actually get into it and recreate it as opposed to it being this like mystical magical thing yeah and um, so what and does he have an answer i mean that? i don't know i haven't done diamond Arbor, right but i mean it, it's about like looking into yourself and it's a lot of question asking that sort of mimics an analysis have you ever as sort of as much as you've sort of resisted the spiritual thing mm -hmm. uh in a conscious way like what have you ever had something that you might describe as a spiritual awakening uh, on drugs. Sure. I mean, sure. but, but I don't say but that's that legit. As in no, dismissal. Yeah. Of course. I, shrooms when I was younger were like a very powerful drug that, uh, I have a lot of respect for, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I haven't done them, you know, God, a long time, mm -hmm. 13, 14 years, mm -hmm. but I would absolutely do them again. I'm just trying not to, you know, there's a part of me that wants an easy out for whatever transition is going on in my head. I'm like, well, maybe you should actually work at it as opposed to just use a drug, even though I do think they can be incredibly Very powerful. helpful yeah. to get there. Um, also, this is so cheesy, <laughs> swimming with the dolphins in Aww. the ocean. <laughs> no, that's amazing. So you felt like that really awakened you in some way. Yeah, they send their sonar waves to you and it's wild and it just, and you have to sort of meditate with them in order to, because you don't approach them yeah. and they sort of send out, are you friendly and you want to be open and that's sort of and what was your experience there like 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 when you uh swam with the dolphins did you i mean did it change your life and in, in a way i don't know if it changed my life but it it gave me a profound sense of peace and uh connectedness which mm. i think is the sort of trick to all this yeah i don't want to say trick but but the that's what life is to me and so i'm a four feelings are very important to me yeah a f you know a five might not feel this way but like that's where i find meaning in life is connection yeah um and people yeah so um uh but that's also you know connection to nature connection to the world mm -hmm. and just feeling a part of a part of it mm -hmm. um when we so often feel outside of it so is there a way just getting back to these mm -hmm. moments where you feel afraid like is there do you do you have is there any practice you have that uh helps you um, go from a feeling of fear to a f feeling of connectedness? No, not yet. And what about when you're acting? So like, what about like, like, what about when you're, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what your process is. We haven't really gotten mm -hmm. into that right now, but um, like, you know, let's say you're approaching a scene and I don't know what for you feels like a scary scene. If that's mm -hmm. like the really emotional scenes or if that's the really funny scenes or if mm -hmm. that's the scenes where, you know, you're like one of six people and you have one line, like mm -hmm. whatever is the a scary kind mm -hmm. of scene for you. Like what, um, how do you, how do you deal with that? Like, and then I, again, like I ask this, yeah. um, because I'm very interested in you as an actor, as an actor myself. And I think a lot of actors will be interested in this, but like, you know, just like everyone has moments in their day where, you know, there's something that they're anticipating mm -hmm. and there's something that they're scared of, or, you know, like, I mean, even just like when you're in a group setting and you have to go around and say your name, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's just like, sometimes it's scary. You anticipate that moment where you have to say your name or, mm -hmm. you know, you're walking to your boss's office or you want something or whatever it is. So like, what, how do you process your fear? And this can be as as specific in terms of acting as you want it to be, because that'll be useful too. Or you can make it as general as you want. Um, it's so funny when you said you have one line and six people, blah blah blah. <laughs> I was just all my co-stars. Um, they have a little song like "Making a Mountain Out of a Molehill," because <laughs> um, they're, I guess, 
the three of them often that's their biggest nightmare. Yeah. Um, and I don't feel that way. So it is different having have one different... line. Yeah. In a no, scene I'm like, great. So many people. Yeah. Like listening is my that's like my favorite thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Great. Like that's the way I stay connected. And sometimes when I'm talking, I feel less connected because I'm focused. On, you know, when you're really mm-hmm. supposed to be reacting, it's easier to just be listening because uh-huh. you can just go listen. Listen. Okay. 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 But sorry. So sorry. I, just like, no, no, quick, quick diversion <laughs> yeah. there. Cause I think this is important. How do you know when you're listening? Um, because I'm hearing. <laughs> so you're hearing what someone's saying. Yeah. It, and I, and it's having an effect on me as opposed to when I'm sometimes when you're talking, you sort of are doing your own thing instead of checking in about where the person's at, which I think good acting, I mean, this is not my quote for sure. <laughs> good acting is reacting. But uh, the, yeah. like, you know, you say you're doing a monologue, sometimes you sort of just like shut it all down. And that's not what that's not the enjoyment I get out of acting. Right. And, and honestly, so on stage, you can't do that on film, you absolutely can, right? And people craft their performances, no matter what, the other person are doing and it comes out great which was the big lesson of film because i was like oh this person's bad and then i'd watch them and i'd be like that was great yeah they were awesome yeah i just wasn't a part of that right Right, so it's less right, fun, right. but it still can be great. Right, right. But the fun part of acting is like the connection thing. Yeah. So I'll even sometimes literally be saying that to myself. Listen. Listen. As, As I'm watching someone. Right, right, right. And that and to to remind myself to to keep listening. But and you, but you feel like sometimes spontaneously as someone's talking you'll feel something. Yeah. And then you'll be like, "Oh, I'm really listening." Mhm. Well, and hopefully you don't have, have that, that realization until after the <laughs> right. scene, you know, right. you're like, I mean, but sometimes you do, right? Totally. Like if it's the sixth 100%. take, you're oh, like, Oh, now I'm listening. Oh, all the time. <laughs> you're running monologue. I mean, a monologue right. comes up in my head half the time, you know, right. it's not like this is just every moment. I'm just it's so, so present. So and present. So, um, but it's like on stage, the thing that I liked about acting and why I got into acting was that feeling of flying when you just are like, what the fuck just happened? Right. Like, I have no idea because I was just there. I tried UCB 101 because I saw Hot Sauce perform, which is like <laughs> a group that had been together 10 years and they were so, I was like, that looks like more fun For than those anything. of you guys who don't know, uh, those of you who don't know, UCB is a, like the sort of the premier improv yeah. uh, theater. Amy, a- Amy Poehler and Matt Besser yeah. and... Uh, Ian, I'm an asshole, yeah. but I don't know all of these people. I yes. should, but you know, I'm an actor. You guys, not an improviser. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, we should know. Anyway, whatever. Uh, and so, and imp- 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 improvising, imp- improvisation. And by the way, you have worked with Joe Swanberg. So, yeah. and so you do a lot of improvising. Yeah. Oh, Joe's the best person to improvise because he doesn't give a shit if you're funny and he'd prefer it if you weren't. Yeah. So <laughs> talk about like the value of improvising and like what, you know, be, and and again, this is a metaphor for life because mm-hmm. we're like always improvising. We're so, always improvising. By the way, you're talking about fear. My biggest fear is being thrown onto like a UCB show. I couldn't do it. Now, it's why do you think thing. that? Though? Because I can improv in character in situation. Uh huh. I can improv on a show. I could do Joe's show. I could do. I can even you know I'm have improved on big comedies. Wolf of Wall Street was all improv. Yeah. All that stuff. That's all good. Until you throw me in a place where I'm like, I'm in a space station and I'm 
a rat on you see how bad i am at this. like i just cannot <laughs> like you feel like when you're it. having to imagine your circumstances you're having to imagine the relationships no, you're having i need to imagine some all- sort of structure in order to feel free uh-huh self-creating just like that i'm not a writer either in terms right, of right. like i you know the idea of like writing a screenplay i have never tried that okay so like let's say you're in ucb like let's say you're in 101 right Mm -hmm. that's the introductory Mm -hmm. improv class at ucb Mm -hmm. and you're you have to like go up and you have to like make everything up like what do you where do you what do you draw upon like i mean i just do it it and tell and say that nobody nobody's as embarrassed as you are meaning like nobody cares as much as you do if you fail at this Uh i think and Look, I took a clown class last year, too. Did you work with Chris, Chris Bays? Bays. We, we already talked about Chris yeah. Bays on this podcast. Eddie K. Thomas. You know Eddie K. Thomas? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of he course. Came, he came, we talked a lot about Chris yeah. Bays. So, yeah, I took Chris Bays' class because I was like, I'm so terrified. The idea of like having to go up and make people laugh makes me want to vomit. And how was that for you? That so Chris Bays, in case you haven't listened to that episode, the, the Chris Bays class, the famously, the first class, right? Mm-hmm. The first class, you have to go up in front of everyone in the class mm-hmm. and you just are on stage alone by yourself until everyone laughs. So we didn't actually do that, oh, you but didn't. I was anticipating okay, that. Okay, okay. <laughs> and I was like, that's why I'm doing this is because yeah. I want to vomit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but it's it's basically the same thing. I mean, like if you don't, you're doing these exercises that if you don't get people to laugh, like you're probably failing at them. But I thought it was amazing to, it was so freeing because first of all, there's a sense, it's very hard to, what my dad would say, uh, you know, to go back to beginner mind, right? Mm-hmm. When you've had success. Now, beginner is, mind, let's just, yeah. again, this is, this is a Buddhist concept yes. that basically says, like, we want to inhabit beginner mind. We yes. want to, that this is a real, uh, if we can consciously sort of... Um, put ourselves in the mindset that what we're doing is brand new, even if we've done it a bazillion times, that this is very beneficial to our consciousness and to, and also just to our efficacy, right? Yeah, like you, the, and you stay curious. Right. And that's the way to, that's the way to engage in the world is not to, you know, I keep thinking and I won't go off on this tangent, but the, I have a, we're living in a time that I think a lot of us are having a hard time with, um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of what's going on in the world and the split between people and having very little faith in humanity at this moment. Mm-hmm. And I keep telling myself the way I'm dealing with it is I keep going, maybe you're wrong. Mm. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe Republicans are right. Maybe Trump is right. Mm-hmm. Maybe now I don't think they are. Yeah. However, I have to allow for the possibility that I'm wrong about some things. This is an exercise in expanding the possibilities in this world. Yes. This is an exercise maybe in, in inhabiting beginner's mind, right? Sure, exactly. Um, I, you know, and I wouldn't have equated the two, but you're, uh, that's exactly the same thing. It's uh, a way to awaken your curiosity. Yeah, like maybe maybe I'm wrong and maybe my experience growing up has made me think this way, but maybe I'm wrong too. Maybe there's, there, there ha- we have to all at least allow for the possibility that we're wrong. And I remember hearing a TED Talk many years ago about, about being wrong and like how wrong we are all the time yeah and like you look back at fashion choices from 20 years ago and you're like, well, like, you know what i mean like we're wrong all the time in yeah. little ways and yet we're so resistant to do you remember whose ted talk that was i don't okay, but it, okay. it might be we can look it up yeah i'm sure you can find it okay yeah. um probably called like the power of being wrong, being or wrong. Like that. <laughs> um but yeah so so allowing that possibility in is 
incredibly helpful for me to finding empathy for other people mm -hmm. and, and to find ways to connect in that way. Mm -hmm. Totally lost my train of thought for where Sorry, we that's all my fault. I was like, I won't fault. go on that tangent, no, 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 but then I did. That's, that's totally my fault. And I, you know what, I, I maybe in my pregnant state, I may also, I, I mean, I know what we were talking about for a second mm -hmm. was fear, which I do want to get back yeah. to. We were talking about how do you, how do you, deal with fear just like in the immediate when yeah. you're when you're walking out. oh and when i was saying chris bays chris bays and then then we were talking about beginner's mind and yes. i think that was the tangent maybe yes. and then maybe then the tangent then went into like the yeah, sort of political wrong. tangent yes. you know but so did you talk about beginner's mind and talk about how that relates to clowning maybe well so well so having success in this business the other part is like the and i'm sure this comes up all the time is feeling like a fraud right like mm -hmm. i am not the thing they think i am mm -hmm. like i'm um, not a great actress exactly right um and let's be real i'm not always a great actress there are moments that i've been a great actress there's moments when i've been terrible i haven't gotten every job i've blown auditions i've blown scenes mm -hmm. i've showed up at a job and felt totally paralyzed mm -hmm. um so I can be good, I can be bad, whatever. But so going into clowning class and trying to be just totally open and a, just a totally like, I'm not good at this. And yes, you know, one person in the class had seen my show and might have been like, oh, that girl, and she's not very good. And gone home and told their class, their roommates, like, oh, I can, I was in the class with that girl from You're the Worst and she sucks. Okay. Like, it doesn't right. matter. Like, right. just go in and engage with people and be on their same level. Cause what I loved about theater when I started was it didn't matter if you were. 18 it didn't matter if you were 60 you were all inhabiting the same space and you were all equals mm -hmm. and so going into that clown class I was with people who were not actors mm -hmm. who'd never done anything like this before who thought it might you know maybe got a group on or something we're like yeah. this sounds fun and then we're like wait why is everyone crying <laughs> <laughs> you know there's just like be let's just all be in this together right. and it was so satisfying and that really changed I want to take it again because Please let me know if you, because I want to take it too. I've, I've been dying to take it for It was so years. helpful. You know what it was really helpful is press. Mm. Doing press is like such a a, a uh, struggle in terms of who you are and who you're presenting right. and like having to. Yeah, because this is, by the way, this is like when, when, we, when I was talking with Eddie about this, um, this is what he said was the greatest value in it is, is really developing a sense of how to access your own authenticity. Mm -hmm. um, and, and well, certainly how to know what inauthenticity was, how to work with inauthenticity or the mm -hmm. fear of being inauthentic. So like, talk about that. Talk about, talk about how this class helped you access your authenticity or, or, or I don't know if I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Like what, what is the relationship between clowning and knowing who you are and press and knowing when you're performing and all of, all of those things? I think going in, I just was like, okay, this is it. And like, it's going to be bad, but like, it was okay. And like Chris sort of talks about, uh, you know, he there was a woman in class who was like doing some stuff and nobody was laughing and she got so embarrassed and just went into herself and then it was hilarious right. it's like we love you when you're not when you're really feeling yeah what you're feeling. when you're just feeling what you're feeling and you're just being true up there and that is okay yeah you don't have to be more and like so i did this is um 
I don't I you see I'm already like worried I'm coming off like an asshole but okay I did Conan O'Brien uh-huh um I watched your I watched a little clip of your Conan I O'Brien. am so I sobbed afterwards I was oh, so embarrassed yeah. I was like that was so humiliating I am horrible I uh, you know first of all Conan has to perform too right sure. so they're performing which you don't really think about when you're watching at home yeah but it was my first experience and I was like oh he's performing too so he's not really connected right. into me like, like he's I'm looking not for either. jokes maybe yes he's looking for jokes because he has a job to do he's got to make this funny whether I am or not like yeah. he's doing his job and I'm here like being like I've got to be cool but I've got to be funny <laughs> and like I who am I and what do I want to yeah. present to the world and yeah. I'm so awkward and so nervous Nervous. Which, by the way, I mean, didn't come across to anyone oh. except, but that's how you felt. I can tell. So, if you watch, I did Seth Meyers last year, af- right after the clown class. Okay. And I'm not like, I'm a lot, uh, I mean, I don't want to say annoying, but I'm I'm just like totally free and having a great, oh, I had a wow. great time. I may not have been hilarious. There may not been. Um, there may not have been a huge difference in terms of like how many laughs I got on my late night show or like how the audience responded to me. But I am myself in Seth Meyers. I am just completely shut down in Conan. And I left Seth Meyers feeling great. I watched it back. I was like, that was fine. I wasn't like, I I ain't no Tiffany Haddish. But like it, it felt good because I just was myself and we just played. Right, and there's so much freedom in that, right? Yeah, and I was like, "All right, take it or leave it." Yeah, and, and so I going, accidentally wore a bathing suit on it, which looked that's crazy. Hilarious! I'm I was sure like, "My tits amazing. are." I do not. I'm not like a sexy <laughs> dresser ever, and I I dress myself a lot because uh-huh. I just like clothes. Yeah, and um, you're very stylish. I had a you're suit, like a and I was like, "I can show person. a little like décolletage." Uh-huh. And standing up, it was like a really nice, like sexy, but simple. Yeah. And then sitting down, it just opened all like, the way up. I was like, whoa. <laughs> did you talk about it on the show? No. 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 But later. <laughs> but watching you... it, I was like, oh, Because you didn't no. notice as it was happening. No, because I was in it. I felt great. But meanwhile, like everyone in the whole world was like, yes, Dick No, everyone was like, what the fuck? No, no one was like that. Okay, wait. Anyway. So, but here's my question. So, you had an experience where you sobbed after after you yeah. were on Conan. Yeah. And then when Seth, my Me- when the opportunity to be on that show came around, were you? Did you have like a trauma response? Like, oh, were you I was scared? Terrified. You were t- you were extra terrified because you'd had this experience on Conan where you yeah. sort of felt out of your body. Yeah. And then Seth Meyers came around. You're like, I I don't want to feel that way again. Yeah. And so, how did you deal with that? I, I again I took this clown class. Yeah. I started to feel like cool, like take it or leave it. This is it. You had some craft. Yeah. You had some craft to feel like yourself a little yeah. bit from this clown class. Yeah. And again, practice. Like it doesn't matter what you think, it matters what you do. So I can think like I want to be free. I wanna but like you actually have to put that into practice. And you what how did you do that? Less. How did you do it? Uh you mean in terms of Yeah, like just like what are like what is one one, what is LaCroix on the mic what is one name one to three techniques or however many you want of, of feeling like yourself um, or practices practices techniques again breathing and being in my body okay so that's that might be something like right before you're walking on sure. set or right before you're walking on to yeah. Seth Meyers you breathe you check in also and this is not something I did, but something Seth Meyers did, which is he comes backstage beforehand and just says hello and like 
So there's a connection there. There's a connection there. You know, we chatted for a second. I enjoyed him. He's a lovely man. And we just had a little moment before you go on stage so that it's not like you're showing up and being like, hi, stranger, and let's pretend that we know each other. So, like, if you're, like, at work mm-hmm. and you have a scene with someone coming up and, let, like, so say it's an intimate scene or you're or, intimidated or it's an actor that you yeah. really admire, yeah. you, do you try to have a moment with them? Like, do you... Totally. If they'll let me, because all actors, again, I'm I'm a very social non, um, I don't do a lot of like actor prep before uh-huh. scenes. I think homework is for, for, for me is something for before I step on set rather than when I'm on set. Uh-huh. Um, it, and that's how I like to work. So I'll shoot the shit until the moment we start shooting, even mm-hmm. if it's a crying scene or an mm-hmm. emotional or a fighting. But not all actors do that, and you don't want to impede someone else's process right. by being invasive in that right. way. But if I can, I would love to have a conversation before we do something. Because that connection helps to helps to free you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and to have us play. And what about, like, do you ever, like, connect um, on purpose with, like, a PA or, or the cameraman or, like, you know, like, a, other than the actor that you're specifically working with? Like, if someone's, like, working at their office or whatever and they're having a day where they feel scared, I mean, could they could maybe say an extra how are you to the person at the door totally. or... There's a, there's a book called The How of Happiness that I read a couple years ago, like a self-help book um, that talks about a lot of different stuff but it um uh, i think this is the one where you take a test about like what are the things that help you the most right and like acts of kindness just happen to be the thing probably for you too if you're a caretaker but like doing nice things for other giving up your seat on the subway Mm -hmm. makes your day better and their day better right doing those little things so uh, giving someone a gift yeah giving someone a gift or intangible or or intangible yeah um paying for someone's toll on the highway without ever seeing their face you know what i mean just as a something nice um so uh yeah, I mean, so I think that that's was a way to so connect connecting too. with Seth Myers helped you, mm-hmm. and connecting in general sort of helps you mm-hmm. out of that. Sense and by of the fear. way, on my set, I'm I have real friendships with a lot of the people on the crew, right. not just the actors, and that also is a way to make work fun and relaxed. And you know, camera you work with so intimately, I right. don't know how you couldn't engage with them, right? Um, and the PAs too, you you have to talk to them more than almost anyone else, right? So creating those kind that kind of atmosphere is is important. creating the atmosphere where you can really like get whatever ha- have whatever feelings you want or need to have and you feel in a place where you feel comfortable sure within reason sure. i mean i do think there are feelings that are not appropriate for, for work yeah like you know if you're having a breakdown and want to scream like maybe you go somewhere else because that's not fair to right i guess else, but... this, this is one yeah. way that acting differs from a lot yeah. of other jobs is that sometimes you're actually like you're being paid to have a breakdown (laughs) so it's nice to like you know at least like know the people who are watching you do it well enough to feel comfortable having that Mm -hmm. breakdown in front of them but you can so in in sort of answer to your question about fear and acting there is something activating about fear in Mm -hmm. terms of energy like it Mm -hmm. actually like your adrenaline starts going right it's kind of galvanizing in a way and i remember like testing for things and Mm -hmm. uh, you know doing audition like i I remember i have this 
uh, memory of walking to the Fox lot for to test for traffic light. And like, yeah. I was so nervous. I thought I was like my, yeah. I was having heart palpitations. For those of you who guys, for those of you who don't know, testing is like the ultimate, the last stage of the audition process. Mm-hmm. Usually it's like the, it's like the, it's, and it, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of very important people watching you, uh, do your audition and, and you've signed a contract already. Yeah. You've already signed a contract that says, you are committed to whatever show you're testing for for seven years. You know how much money you're making. The whole deal's been negotiated. So the stakes are very, very high when you're testing. Yeah. So you walked onto the Fox lot and you yeah, were freaking out. Yeah, and I was just freaking out. And I was like, use it. Use it. Right. And I used to think that I couldn't give a good performance unless I was scared. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's got to be. Otherwise, I'm not there. And and I've found that that's not true as I've as I've gotten older and just worked more. That actually real trust and relaxation often gets the best results sure rather than fear-based but right. that you can really use fear to to give you energy. right so ideally you're really trusting and you're mm-hmm. relaxed but when we do feel fear there's a way to work with it rather mm-hmm. than sort of try to deny it yeah. i mean in fact we want to learn how to work with it mm-hmm. rather um, than tamp it down like i actually won't try to or didn't i you know it's been five years since i've tested for something mm-hmm. but the um Rather than try to calm down, mm-hmm. I try to let it. Right. Calming down can sometimes be like the worst thing to do <laughs> with fear, right? Because it's, it's like a way of disavowing it or denying it. Yeah. You know, it's like you're, what your dad would say. Like, we want to be friends with this fear. We have to be friends with the fear or the fear just sort of stagnates and, and really can really can fuck us. Yeah. <laughs> like if we say to our fear, no, 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 wait, I don't want you. I, I'm not, I don't have you. I'm not, I'm not actually afraid. Fuck yeah. this. I'm not afraid. I don't yeah. Then it's like, that's when we can get really paralyzed. Whereas if we say something like, yeah, I feel afraid. Yeah. I feel fear and I'm going to breathe yeah. and I'm going to connect with whoever I'm going to connect with. Yeah. And what else? What other things do you do when you feel fear? That's about it. I mean, I just try to breathe. Yeah. I try to use it to give me some sort of energy mm-hmm. because, um, uh, you know, acting is like connecting into all the the stuff going on inside, right? Mm-hmm. And fear can be a real quick activator to like, okay, and now I'm really present because I'm so right. It's like afraid, electricity. So I'm gonna just feel that because it's so powerful. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and that's about it. I mean, I I um I try to do things that that scare me. You know, mm-hmm. like anyone. Like you try to do things that scare you, like new skydiving things, or that uh, kind of thing. Uh-huh. I mean, all all kinds of things. Skydiving, clown class, UCB. I, I was terrible at UCB, but I did yeah. it because I was like, I can't do this. Yeah, I still can't do it, but at least I. And tried so, it. and you think the value of doing those things that scare you is that uh, that um, that expands that it, they expand your capacity to contend with fear. Yeah, well, and they just they just show you that you're not going to die. Like, right. you're not going to die from any of these fears. Right, fear is just fear. I mean, maybe skydiving, but, sure. <laughs> but probably not. Well, you're, in that case, you're not going to die from the fear of skydiving. Yes, you're exactly. going to die from, <laughs> from skydiving. Actual, <laughs> um, yeah. And so it's also for someone who has a hyper-awareness of what other people are feelings and a hyper um, – concern for what other people are feeling it's uh it it's really helpful to be like well who cares yeah and 
and and facing fears i feel like allow you to feel a little like about who cares about everything right 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 they give you perspective it gives you perspective um okay so uh, when you sobbed after conan Mm o'brien that sobbing came from uh, maybe some shame maybe some some disappointment embarrassment embarrassment. yeah i always feel like i'm a disappointment because i'm not a comedian Mm. and and being on a comedy you get offered a lot of comedic stuff shows and you know I did Doug Love's movies for the last couple of years because I love Doug Benson so much he's one of the best humans on the planet mm-hmm. like for real and I love his show and I every time I, I always lose it after Doug Love's I'm like I am so horrible and embarrassing and then I'm trying too hard uh-huh. and I'm like overdoing it uh-huh. and I hate it okay and I finally said to Doug I'm not doing your show anymore like I love you but like it's not good for any of us <laughs> what do you do what do you do with that what do you do with the what do you do with the show shame or the the disappointment you just say okay some people are gonna think you're an idiot i mean do you live do you live with uh, do you deal with it in the same way that you deal with fear where you sort of like accept it um or is it harder for you to accept, accept disappointment and shame than it is fear uh like what's your outlet you know like with fear yeah. right it helps you connect with your feelings there's yeah. like you know it gives you a lot of energy what is yeah. shame what do you do with shame and disappointment where do those live and how do you process them they just get shoved down to a dark corner <laughs> of my body. Maybe they're my heartburn and my allergic reactions all over my face. I mean, I don't know. I think, you know, I'm in a place where I, I, I feel like if I'm going to be brutally honest, a lot of the things that I've done for years aren't working anymore. Mm. And I need to find new techniques because I am struggling with that. Um, I feel like... Look, for many years, I cared so much what other people thought about me and and the embarrassment of being like a disappointment or being not interesting or funny or smart or whatever the thing is. Um, And then for years, I didn't care. And then I've been back in a loop where I care. And and um, would you know what prompted that being back in that loop? Success. Yeah. (laughs) You know, uh, being. Uh, public in any way and look nobody fucking knows who I am this is not like a a daily basis of like a lot of people yeah but but I'm saying like people aren't like accosting me on a daily basis but I'm you know but there are look I shop at the Goodwill dollar store of Goodwill a lot Uh I always fucking get recognized at Goodwill (laughs) and like I'm like you know dirty and like (laughs) you know there's like an embarrassment that I'm not the thing that they see on TV Mm. that they're expecting but who cares I don't know why I care that's a real tough thing because you're not you'd be you're embarrassed to shop at you know like I don't know Neiman Marcus but you're also embarrassed to shop at Goodwill (laughs) oh I went to Saks the other day to return something that somebody had given me and yeah. I was like I hate everybody <laughs> not no but do you know what I'm saying like it's like yeah. you don't want to be successful and wealthy yeah. on some level but yeah. you also like you, you don't want to disappoint people who think you're successful and wealthy I know, but who cares what other people <laughs> of people course I don't know think and and I it, it's the same thing with the uh sort of what happened in season two and feeling like you know you run into people and you've meant so much to them but you don't know how to be I, I like want to calibrate to be whatever they need in that moment yeah. and I just feel like I'm not or I'm not you know I get all the time you look like that girl and I'm mm. like yeah because she wears like she has an hour of makeup mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like and you think I'm like the ugly version like I, that's where the, let, I'm just being real honest about like yeah. that's where the ugly thoughts go is like I'm just I'm not 
that that Mm -hmm. and I don't know why I need to be that because for years I actually felt pretty damn good about myself and where I was at and success brought back you know success amplifies those things so it wasn't gone it was just sort of in hiding and now it's back and I think my show ending brings up a lot of things because I'm like oh I have to like get back into that game I've had this beautiful amazing job where I was valued for what I do I was Mm -hmm. paid for what I do Mm -hmm. I was working with friends who I genuinely loved from Mm -hmm. the writers to the crew to the director I mean like I had this like utopian amazing and not to say we didn't have bad days but like it was it was a fucking amazing five years Mm -hmm. and now I'm coming off that going I don't know and like do I have to perform again do I have to pretend Mm -hmm. to be something else again Mm -hmm. do I have to put my goddamn cutlets in again because Mm -hmm. I'm getting feedback that I'm not sexy enough Mm -hmm. again you know like Mm -hmm. all the things that happened to me chicken cutlet she means bra (laughs) bra inserts for those of you we all of us actresses almost all of us wear them at some point so 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 I think like what you're talking about you know I think the fear of the unknown really exacerbates these demons i mean that's like a pretty human experience right like all of a sudden you're you're going to a new phase the show that you've been on for five years is like is gonna not be there anymore and you're so all of a sudden you're like fuck who who do i be now but when you think i I recently went back to therapy and she was like so it sounds like what you're struggling with is like very similar to when we left I was like, seven years ago? What? You know? Yeah. Like, you you think you've come so far. I feel like I've I've done so much work on myself, and, and now all of a sudden I'm like, oh, really? You're that 20-year-old again who can't fuck it, who, like, gives a shit if, like, so-and-so <laughs> thinks she's hot? Who gives a shit? So do you have a mechanism for, like, who who the fuck no, cares what they think? It. No, you're... You give me a mechanism. Yeah. No, no. Um, no, I mean, yeah, no, that's one of the hardest things. It's yeah. really hard to actually legitimately be, like, who the fuck cares? Yeah. Who cares what they think? I mean, all I can do is, if there's any uh, sort of um, fix-it path, it's... You know, I have really wonderful friends mm-hmm. and family and my husband who love me and have seen all the mm-hmm. warts. And so, like, that's what matters. Put your attention and energy into the thing that actually matters and is the value system that you want to live. As right. Opposed to the and we're thing sort of back at not. connection, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this has been so wonderful. So my <laughs> last, my very last question is, do you have, like, you know, you've mentioned a couple, uh, the Einstein, Einstein, Einstein's dreams, Einstein's dreams and um, the how of happiness. Mm-hmm. Do you have other books or, or videos or resources or classes or m- modes of therapy mm-hmm. or and like, what do you recommend for people? I mean, everybody knows about it, but I've done it like three times and it was great. The artist's way. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But I hate her voice. I'm just going to say that. Sorry, Julie Cameron. I do not like the way she writes. I do not like all the mm. God talk, even though she's like, replace it. I was mm-hmm. like, God's a pretty uh, intense word <laughs> to, to replace. replace. Uh, so well, why everyone not just says use a different universe, word and say right? you could use God. Right, sure, anyway, sure. So I just want to preface it with that. But I've done that multiple times throughout my career, and it's mostly been incredibly helpful my mother has a book called ordinary genius that's great that's more focused on writing but again like about like i remember it's so funny you go from being embarrassed to call yourself an actor because you're a waitress (laughs) to being embarrassed to call yourself an actor because you feel like an elitist i mean like there's no you know but to just own that this is what we do and to to feel like an artist at any stage Uh um even if you're you know 
shilling tampons as and that's what ordinary genius is about well it's an ordinary genius artist way all these things i think any any way you can sort of embrace the the real reason you got into whatever art you're in or job you're in right like the pure feeling Mm -hmm. behind Mm -hmm. it i think Mm -hmm. is instructions into how to sort of find your own uh what drives you yeah and And your creative life because i do think that everybody needs to feel creative whether you're a wall street banker i mean i don't think that that's it means you have to be an artist to to be creative right by trade yeah right we're all creative yeah um and this might be one of the paths to knowing ourselves Mm -hmm. i also think um doing uh just other things is helpful. Like I shadowed on my show last week and I feel Love it. Yeah. I, I'm like really excited to learn more about directing and it's okay to be a beginner at that. No one's expecting me to have any because yeah. it's a different thing. Yeah. Um, but even if that's like learning a new skill, like sewing or so, I think like those kind of things that just like starting over from scratch, like allow us to be kind to ourselves about not knowing again, Mm -hmm. um, in all aspects of our life. Mm -hmm. So learning some new tool is, is really helpful. That's so great. I love that as like a way to end is be kind to yourself, be kind to yourself for not knowing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that was really, really fun. Thank you so much. I'll shame spiral later about how much I Oh my God. You know what? It's so funny. Like everyone, um, Everyone, sh- I you know, I've done a couple of podcasts too mm-hmm. as a guest, and like, it's such a just part of the experience to shame yeah. spot, like to think like I hope that was good enough. Was I good enough? Was that okay? Or like, yeah. like well, also uh, like I just shared a bunch of I shared like real stuff, and like you, I think as an actor, you sometimes are like, how much of the real is okay to to let out? Like, right. How much is it okay to protect? the real me and yeah. my real life well cause because you're so vulnerable yeah. like people pay you money to be very vulnerable and yeah. revealing of yeah. yourself and even though you're playing a character or whatever like it can be raw yeah well we appreciate it here Thank on you, this Kat. show and I think everyone listening will very much appreciate it thanks for having me in your beautiful home oh my pleasure that's our show thanks for listening follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at I am Kat Foster and reach out to us using the hashtag acting real pod for links and recommendations from this week's episode, visit actingrealpodcast.com. Episodes go up on Mondays. Subscribe to the show and rate and review us. It would mean so, so much to us if you did. This podcast is produced by Hanami Sutton and Chris Mako with technical assistance by David O'Hara and music by Sean Hokinson. We love you guys. We really, really do. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Next week.